Hi friends, I'm Mikey Carl. Welcome to the final episode of this season all about Run Home Slow. What a time! We've been over the Alps, negotiated some very rocky terrain. Now we're wearing the yellow jersey and about to hit the Champs-Élysées. Let's bring this baby home. Quick scene set. Last episode, Holger at Universal Music in Germany successfully pitches rain to the creators of The Colors Sessions, a popular YouTube music performance series. Just heard the voice. And he instantly agreed, you know, to, to have them on the show. On the 8th of August, days after the record drops, he comes out and the ripples go round the world. Hello, I'm Daniel Glass the founder and president of Glassnote, and you're listening to me on 180 grams. 180 grams? You know, by the way, it's an interesting, this is a side story. The CFO and general manager of our company is a guy named Chris Scully, whose grandfather invented the Scully lathe, which cuts all vinyl. Our vinyl standards are all 180 grams and very, very high quality. We say 180 grams all the time in our company. I didn't know this was called 180 grams. I'll give a compliment. The Universal team in Germany has been great. They've created a few assets which have been terrific. When they did the, uh, I think it's called the Colors Session, Yes. that really helped. Uh, I remember when Trayvon Free from The Daily Show tweeted about them. To tell people like, hey, have you, this is incredible. <laughs> is, that, is that Thor from Marvel doing a Sam Cooke impression? No, it's just a really, really amazing, amazing singer and Josh. Because for me, it was like hearing Sam Cooke come out of an Australian man's mouth. And that was just amazing. That, that happened, you know, in America. And boom, it helped everyone around the world because it was all about how could these white guys do this? You know, be so good. That type of reaction, you just don't hear about. White guys playing soul music. It doesn't work on paper unless they're very, very good at it. Trayvon Free is an Emmy Award-winning writer and comedian. He has a huge presence on Twitter and is a powerful voice in the Black Lives Matter movement. I feel like you should be able to sing whatever you want to sing as long as you remain connected to its roots, as long as you promote its roots, as long as you're aware that the style of music, if you're choosing a soul style of music, which they, uh, they, they call blue-eyed soul. If you're aware of the history of the people who sang this music and never were able to profit from it when these people were in their heyday here in, in the States and are aware that you are in a unique position to profit from it, I think I have, I have no problem with that. I, the only time I would have a problem with anything like that is if someone did it and actually cared not about the history of it or the origin of it because I think that's how what they call whitewashing happens where you lose the history and the origin of something that's so uniquely black, so uniquely African-American.
This episode, Run Home Slow, is released. It's been almost a year since the process kicked off in 2018. There's already been highs, already been lows, but everyone involved is waiting to see the record's reception. Time for our heroes to do a lap and see if they get thrown sunshine or shade. At the very least, the album will see the light of day. Engineer and analogue equipment enthusiast Now Anzai was explicit about his feeling that the band should be true to their sound expressed in their first album, Half Mile Harvest. Do not give a free hand to any famous producers. You suddenly got famous because your sound is so unique in 21st century, because you are doing everything like as if you were in the 60s. Bear in mind, bass player Brendan has told us he can't stand having the same sounding chorus in a song, let alone recreating a whole album again. The enthusiasm for evolution from many angles, felt tangibly by the addition of a producer in Paul Butler, leaves Liam Goff, the drummer, a little unsure. He doesn't know how people will feel after they take the cover off their vinyl and drop the needle on the record or, you know, hit play on the stream. There was fear of backlash from fans from early on that we might have departed from that really raw sort of 60s blues. There's less blues in this album. There was still soul, but it wasn't just a whole album of pain and miseries. Thinking and talking to people about how much had gone into the album, like a hell of a lot of blood, sweat and tears, literally, to get that album done. But it also felt good for that to be done and dusted as well. You know, it was kind of like, put that one to bed. Fans can have fickle taste and critics are always wary of hype. For bass player Brendan Love, it feels in Shakespearean terms like he's given a pound of flesh to make this album. Oh, it came out on the 2nd of August, 2019. And I had sort of purposely been distancing myself from just the online presence of the campaign, just because I was focusing on my mental health and just, I don't know, it was I hate to use the word triggering, but anything to do with the band was, was kind of taking me back to that place. And so I just really wanted to not think about it. And then it was like a couple of days before I realised it was even out. There was a few friends of mine that would, had like listened to it and sent messages whose like opinions I really respect. Um, like my friend Danny Ross, for example, he was really present in the first album as well. He just like sent this long thing. It was just like, dude, this is like this is next level. And like then that kind of gave me license to kind of go accept it a bit and go, okay, like maybe maybe it's good. And then I listened to it for the first time in you know, months, all the way through, on my modern speakers and just. You know, shut the blinds, just put it on and just sat right in between the stereo field, you know, like, and just listened to it all the way through. And I was like, this is a good album. Yeah, and I was like, I'm, I'm really proud of this. That's what friends are for. That's what friends are for. For a singer, it's always an unexpected and undeniably odd thrill hearing your voice out in the world. You're literally singing to yourself. Yeah, it's really beautiful. To, it's such a nice time to kind of put music out and you get to sort of hear it out in the world, hear it on radio for the first time. What's been really cool with this album is it, it obviously it had so much more reach than I ever, ever could have imagined, you know. And I remember when we first went on the, the like the first America tour after releasing, uh, you know, some of these songs, I think So Caught Up was was out. And I was in just like the hotel lobby bar, you know, and I got like some big American like steak and, a, and like a, and a pint, you know, of some awesome American IPA or something. 
And then on in the back end in the hotel lobby was like so caught up, you know, like one of those sort of moments, you know. I was in, I can't remember where we were, we must have been in, you know, in Chicago or something like that. And you're just like little things like that are really awesome. You're just like, geez, hey, I'm here in the, in the hotel lobby. And there's uh, here's that song. The true heroine of this story, Ivy League's A&R manager Marushka Cornelius, is now more than three years into her relationship with the band and finally, finally has an album her label's putting out. There's no time for false modesty. Marushka thinks Run Home Slow should shoot to number one on the album charts with a bullet. Uh, a singing, rapping, busking English leprechaun is the only thing standing in their way. Oh, who was it? Ed Sheeran. Yes. looking It was looking really good, but we were the same week as Ed Sheeran and, you know, you can't, you can't um, compete with the streams on whatever the hot song was that week for him. Who would have thought that this little band from Warringah that no one had ever bloody heard of two years before would have a number two album on the ARIA chart? Band manager Jeremy Furs is feeling a mixture of relief and pride. We're, on release day, it's like this is a year and a half after I first heard the the demos and six months after I first heard the, the finished masters. So the album didn't feel new to me, felt like a very familiar friend one that I finally got to introduce to all of my friends and to the world. I hope it's rewarding for the guys to witness that sharing of their music because I think that's the most important thing for them is that at the end of the line, there's someone in their lounge room putting the vinyl down on the player and sitting back and, and enjoying it. Everyone who'd heard the record wanted to see the show and to me that is the best telltale of, of a strong album is when whoever hears it decides they want to see it live. Splendour in the Grass reminded each member of the band that nobody else on this earth can do what these four guys can do together. It gives them great confidence as they take their 11 new recruits out into the world. The songs from Run Home Slow. I guess, you know, then you go into promo mode. You've got to tour this album and you want to have the best chance of of this thing getting legs you gotta go out and you gotta work hard which is and i was really in that mindset it was a tour that we did that was the first part of it was a european kind of festival run and then we went straight over to the u.s to do a support slot for tash sultana and i was looking at that because when we got that offer that was like right in my period where i was on break from the band and i was like i'm not sure if i can do this either but then I was also like, oh, like, man, if I take this tour off, am I going to get fired? Like, you know, there's all these things going through my head. But I was just like, I just don't know if I'm, how I'm going to go six, seven weeks on tour. I've just had this whole thing and I'm like, I'm just starting to feel better, but I'm still so unsure. But I was like, that was the goal I set myself was like, I'm, I'm going to do this tour. I'm going to say yes to it. Like, I really want to get back in and I want to promote this album because it's you start to think of all the sacrifices you've made to get this album so then to kind of not jeopardize it but to not just really try and give it your all and even though it was a challenge for me to do that tour i was like nah i just i've got to do it funny story before the tour with tash they'd been on the blues fest bill with her back in 2018 brendan had got a bug that's not the funny part of the story and headed straight out of the festival as soon as their set finished josh hung around and was backstage with a fan when tash sultana played later on Hey, Brendan, how you doing? We're watching Tess Sultana, so I don't know why you're gone. How do you like them apples? Brendan returns Matt Damon's serve with this. Hey, Matt. Sorry, mate. I had to go see about a girl. 
They're due to play into the Great Wide Open Festival in the Netherlands, then Golden Leaves Festival in Germany, before London shows a bit more of Europe than a tour with Australia's bohemian busker-turned-stadium act, Tash Sultana. The US tour bookers' paradigm see great value in supporting Tash Sultana across North America, which is a vast and vital market. Here's Joshua Knight from Paradigm to explain. They passed on the Tash Sultana tour at first because it was just too much work for them. You know, it was too much back and forth to the United States. I mean, it's grueling. It's a two days there and back. And they really didn't want to do it. And Jeremy and I talked a lot. And 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 Tom, uh, my partner here at Paradigm, Tom Windish, who you know brought the band to me, he, and, he got in there a little bit. And we really talked to the band and told them how important it was for them to come over and do the tour. But when we got with the band, we said, guys, if we want to make North America a legit touring option for this band, we got to come back and play with Tosh because she's playing in 8,000 seat venues and 4,000 seat venues and 2,000 seat venues. And we just got done playing 400 seat venues. And that leads us to where we are now. The Teske Brothers tour manager in the US, Charles Twilling, notices something happened on the first night of the Tash tour. Take us back there, Chuck. After the first show of this tour, it was it was very obvious that this was going to be a long tour on that side. Coming out as a support band in front of Tash's audience and stuff. <laughs> and they were just like, oh my God, this band is incredible. These guys are amazing. The audience just going berserk and give asking for like encores where we can't obviously do an encore because we're the support group but they're like screaming for encores these are people that have never seen the Teske brothers and this is night after night as shows are getting bigger and bigger and these audiences i mean at one point we were at the ryman in nashville which is like like red rocks the ryman is is a an a, a an amazing venue and it's such a history in the u.s they jumped off stage at the end of this they've been doing this a couple of times i told we tell the the production crew house crew when they jump off stage start pulling the gear because we'll, we'll do this changeover quickly they uh, they jumped off the stage and I'm, I'm, I'm on the clear comp and I'm like, pull the gear, pull the gear. We're ready to go. And the crew, the house crew, uh, production crew is like, fuck that. We're not going out on that stage. This show is not over. Whether we're not touching anything, they were afraid because the audience was just like into this and they're singing along and they're doing this part with them. And they're like, nope, nope, refusing it. And Tasha's cap is like, get the shit off the stage. And they're like, no, we're not ta- we're not going out on that stage. Not until they're done. This is not done. The band getting into the crowd to sing Hold Me starts after the third show on the tour. Pundits are feeling the love big time and it doubles as an opportunity to get the stage set for Tash. Should a support band be doing this? Give the people what they want. For once, the friction is outside the band, not internally. Speaking of which... There was a lot of tension and a lot of pressure to recreate this live and to get it that vibe, that warmth, that feel. With his live sound engineer hat on, Charles explains how to set the mixing desk for the Teske Brothers. Okay, pretend you're filling in for him. You're both standing there under a tent with all the gear in front of you. How do you do it, Charles? Start your console completely flat, no EQ, 
no effects and start to build a mix like that. And once you get the mix sounding good with nothing on there, then you can add like a little verb on this song or just a little bit of plate on this snare, just on this part. But it's basically everything you've ever learned from, from a new point of view, forget everything you know. And that's how we started tonight. I, I didn't save files. We start completely flat, completely scratch. And we would only do 30 minute sound check at most. Huh. 20 minutes. Where a sound check usually can go for two hours. We wanted it as raw and as real as possible each night. That's what Daniel Glass sees in them. The first time he'd been to a Teskis gig in Auckland of all places, back in 2018, he called legendary US agent Tom Windish to say hi from the gig with the bank. Tom's in California at the time. And he called me on, uh, I think, FaceTime video. And it was like 11 o'clock at night, and I was in this Airstream trailer on the edge of a cliff on the side of the ocean. All the lights were out, and I was asleep, and the phone starts ringing. And it was him, you know, with the whole band there in the background. And, and it was like, hey, I just wanted to tell you, you know, I'm here with uh, the Teskies and I'm so happy to be working with them. And it was just quite a laugh. You know, I think they were kind of like, what the heck is Daniel doing waking up Tom in the middle of the night here? What is going on? He's Daniel. A sign of a great live band when you see Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band or you see you 2 no two shows are alike. Every show of the Teskey Brothers is different. And the beauty is, it's not on a laptop. So they can do anything any night. I suppose I tell you, you know, we're testing out a whole bunch of new songs on here tonight, so we really are unique things. You know. The efforts Paradigm Agency had put into getting the band back in the USA are paying off. Joshua's pumped when they have a big win getting some solid radio airplay. We went to opening night up in Milwaukee, and my wife and my children and I drove up there, and I got them a big cake because earlier that day they were named number one at Sirius XM Spectrum, which is the big AAA station on Sirius XM here, and they had just beaten out a bunch of cute Sturgill Simpson and you know, Camp and all these great bands that are hot right now. And I got them this really great cake, and I presented it to them, and <laughs> like, what's Sirius XM? And I was like, oh, I love you guys so much. Daniel Glass is invested in the band. It's a family affair. Just count how many times he says family in the next three seconds. We took our family to, to Red Rocks. It was a family outing. And, you know, we had all generations of our family there. And Teskey Brothers played two shows there. I did not expect to see that many people there. We had just released the record. There's a big crowd in front of that stage. And you've got some very big headliners, you know, at, at that festival, including our own Mumford & Sons at the festival and there's a big crowd and I just couldn't help it. I just kept asking everybody, how do you know about this band? I would say the majority was Spotify and people are, you know, swaying and sashaying to the music. You know, I called the agents after the show and some of them were there and some of them weren't. And they started giving me the live sales figures. And I said, they're all sold out. And every show was sold out. What went through my head and my body, it's kind of a visceral thing is, I want to bring everybody to see them live. 
That to me has been the litmus test of what has made our label stand out, whether it was Phoenix or Churches or Mansion Air or Mumford and Sons or Childish Gambino. The big thing is live. How, you know, are the artists going to com- compete and compare with, you know, what, what I worked with Blondie and Jethro Tull and Sinead O'Connor and Billy Idol and, uh, you know, and, and artists like that and Ice House. So it's, it's, uh, Johnny Diesel. <laughs> Everything we get, whether it's a dance video, whether it's a hold me, crowd participation video. Everything we get resonates. Northside Records' Chris Gill saw the band play a show with a round at a Melbourne venue in perennially cool inner suburb Fitzroy. For our international listeners, Fitzroy is Australia's Portlandia, or Camden in London, or Kreuzberg, Kreuzberg in Berlin, according to Jeremy. Anyway, Chris, Fitzroy, the Nightcat. I specifically remember sort of the Nightcat is a venue with a circular stage in the middle of the room. So I went behind the drummer. It was quite amazing sort of being there and realising how quiet the music is, like how quiet Liam plays and how it's not sort of amplified terribly in the room. And I remember saying to the venue owner, I was like, wow, it's it's so beautiful that you've mixed this band so quietly and... Therefore, that you have the space to be dynamic with the music, with with the sort of um, like volume levels or accents within the music within each song, and he was sort of like going, "Oh yeah, but you know, people are listening to the music and feeling it rather than drinking," <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, you know, sure, but uh, it is a good trade-off. It is a great sacrifice for culture that you're making, you know, in continuing this." You know, that's a great observance of the Teske Brothers of this music is to allow the dynamism of of volume, of not being too loud and, and therefore allowing yourself colour within the music to be available to paint with. Otherwise, if it's, you know, if the music's too loud to start with, you've got nowhere to go. The Nightcat has a capacity of 500 people. The Teske Brothers are accustomed to playing much bigger shows. And on their album tour, they're looking at the Forum Theatre in Melbourne. It's a 2,000-people venue built way back in 1929 as an atmospheric theatre. There's leather seats in the balconies and booths towards the back. As you look up from the floor in front of the stage, the cavernous ceiling resembles a starry night, pinpricked with twinkling lights. Mid-gig, it's actually hard to tell if the ceiling's actually there. Gargoyles and Roman statues watch on. The whole room pulses with this mysterious, sexy energy. As their Australian live agent, Rob Giovanni's the one getting the band on stage here. Lock it. Tickets announced. We put one forum on sale. That went within a day. Then we went, all right, let's put a second one on. That went in a week. It just, you know, we ended up doing four forums, which is totally exceeds our expectations at all. Doing three metros. And the thing is that we could have added more. But Josh can't, um, and rightfully so, he, he can't play more than three shows in a row. But four get booked anyway. Two back-to-back, a break for a day, then another two coming up in mid-November 2019. It's not just the forum in Melbourne that's selling out. All around the country, tickets are getting snapped up for the Australian leg of the album tour. The band kicks it off in Sydney at the very end of October. Thanks to the flat-out year of touring, once the album was finished, of course, the wages paid to the band are feeling a bit more secure. Marushka's at one of the three sold-out Sydney gigs at the Metro Theatre. I was walking in, down the alleyway and I ran into Josh and Hannah, his partner. 
And Josh was so excited. He ran out and he's like, oh, MC, come, I have to show you. I got a new car. And I was walking in. He took me through the car park at the Metro and I was like, oh, cool. I wonder what kind of car he got. This is going to be sick. He's like, check it out. And it was, a, you know, a beautiful plumber's van, like a work car. And I was like, this is awesome. And in the back of my head, I was like, did he get that? Because he wants to use it for his plumbing business, even though he's just playing in front of a completely sold out Metro. And sure enough, when I spoke to Jeremy, I was like, did he get that plumber's van because of his plumbing business? And he's like, yep, 100%. (laughs) With the forum shows coming up, there's a little extra enthusiasm bubbling away. Yeah, so the Live at the Forum record, that really was, you know, that conversation started because producer I work with quite a bit, she emailed me about filming some of the show because she heard that they'd sold out four forums. With Marie. Marie. Pagard? Pongo. Pongo. Excellent. So I hit up Marushka and I was like, hey, how about we do something? And she was like, yeah, I'm super keen. Yeah, let's do a mini doco, film someone film. Maybe have a few songs, some interview, and mix it all together. There's a link in the episode notes. It's on YouTube. Check it out. And that kind of got Jeremy and I talking about, like, how fucking cool would it be to just record those shows and put out a live album? And that, because it's classic Teskies, turned into, why don't we record an album using a tape machine to take it through to the forum and record like they used to record, like, back in the 60s? The man with the best ears in Melbourne, now Anzai, has his reservations. And I know how technically hard and how much extra job involved if they want to record onto the tape from the live concert. At the start, I said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> then then the, some convinced Jeremy, and Jeremy had a friend. Another analog tape nerd engineer in Castlemaine called Alex Bennett. And Jeremy was convinced to ask Alex to bring his own 8-track super old tape recorder to the Forum Theater. The originally some asked, can we bring in a 24-track recorder to Forum? And my answer kept being no, because it's too heavy, too bulky, too many things can go wrong. But because it's a, Alex's 8-track, and I, I know Alex is taking care of that machine super good, so as long as you're happy to compromise a live production for this, I change my answer to yes. And they are all happy to bid up the compromise to make this happen. So <clears throat> that was really, really technically hard, but it was amazing. Not without some conditions. Why pass up the opportunity to ask for some sweet gear to complement the experience? So I told them, you have to bring in big analog desk for me. And they did. Of course, it's costly, but we had a budget and they were happy to do that. You know, they're the audio nerds, so that they love to see their analog happening again. Main system, digital recording system, and backup digital recording system. And we decided to go with a tape as well. So we had three recording systems going on. (laughs) So it was a huge system for four nights at Forum. Yeah. 
So it's going to be an interesting thing moving moving up to bigger venues like now because I guess I guess the forum together is is eight we sold yeah eight thousand tickets to the forums. There were these moments where they had to say, "Hey, we've got to change the tape." So just kind of give us a minute. Do you remember earlier on I was talking about that moment where we're going to change the reel? This is it, man. So. And the audience, I don't know, it just kind of gave this other experience to them, I think, knowing that they were a part of something. Marushka, how's the atmosphere? It was amazing. You know, everybody that was there, it was... The Teskey Brothers demographic is pretty broad. I remember talking to one of the directors of Ivy League looking around and he he said to me I'm trying to work out what the band's demographic is and we both looked at each other and I was like I think it's just human you know Brendan hopping down and and popping Josh on his shoulders and Josh just singing you know just at the top of his lungs in the middle of an adoring crowd who are all singing back at him it's magic I think innately in humans and down to our core, we I think we we sing. I think we've always sung. I think it's in in so many different cultures that group singing is really a part of us. So I think when we do that in a room and have the all the electronics of the night sort of disappear and the you know the amplification disappear and have two thousand people in a room singing together in harmony, hopefully is a really, really special thing for humans. There's a lot of emotion goes around in the room during that time. And we've had some really special moments of seeing, you know, seeing some tears, seeing some, you know, in, you know, in a really good way. And I think it's because this singing as a group is, is really, really special for everybody, including, including myself. So the, the forum was a really special moment to do that. Not only the Teskey Brothers songs. You do a little something, I think Black Sabbath. We can't play that here because of copyright, but what we can play is another cover, a touching moment for one special audience member. That's the Teskey mother, Jenny Teskey, perched on the balcony, drink in hand, huge smile across her face, surrounded by friends swaying and hugging her, the whole room turned away from the stage and singing up to her, arms raised. Happy birthday, Jenny Teskey. Now we're off to the Arias, the Australian Record Industry Association Awards, the Aussie Grammys. I don't know. I don't know how the industry works. How do you get an Aria? I don't know. Is it public voted? Is it industry voted? Is it by sales? I still don't know, to be honest. We're not going to compete on that stage of like that part of the industry, which is kind of, you know, I guess just more geared towards more popular things in the sense of, you know, on commercial radio and touring certain festivals and all that kind of stuff and having certain airplay, which we didn't have. It got flagged like, hey, guys, uh, you know, you might be nominated for the Aries. Like, you know, would you want to go if that happened? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we'll see. And I was like, yeah, we get nominated. I'll go, of course. That'd be fun. You know, it'd be, it'd be cool to check it out. We ended up getting seven nominations all up, you know, and then so that's blowing my mind, you know, so you're trying to catch up to that. And then people at the label are kind of intimating that, like, 
oh, what would your speech be? And I was just like, I don't know. I'm gonna write. Like, we're not going to win, so why bother? For Liam, winning an Aria is a bucket list moment. I'd watched the Arias as a kid and sort of thought, you know, never my wildest dreams, even though I was, you know, wanted to be a drummer and stuff, I never thought that we would get to even be in a band with someone that would win an Aria. And then we're getting nominated and we're talking to uh, the head of Arias and he's saying he and his um, wife really love the album. We're like, oh, wow, okay, cool. And we're chatting to him, doing a bunch of interviews and he says, yeah, I'd really like to um, get you guys to come play live on the Arias. And I was just like, sort of just went quiet and wide-eyed. And I said, whatever we have to do to get to play live on the Arias, like, you you let us know. Like, And I just looked him in the eye and said, you just, yes, please. Australian rock station feel partly responsible for giving the Teskey Brothers a big break, as you recall on episode one, when they played live at the desk and their debut album, Half Mile Harvest, shot to number two. Did you know Triple M played a role in the Teskey Brothers' international success? We didn't. It was revealed in a brand new podcast called 180 Grams. The story goes, a big wig record label dude in the UK was emailed the band's performance of Pain and Misery from Triple M Melbourne's Live from Eddie's Desk. It's just pain and See, on the day of the Arias, Brendan and Sam are on Sydney Breakfast Show, hosted by Lawrence Mooney, edgy comedian and FM DJ. You performed on Jimmy Kimmel live a couple of weeks ago. This is their album called Run Home Slow, here with the song So Caught Up, the Teskey Brothers. How was that experience? Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. So yeah. when it came in, they said, oh, you got the Kimmel show. I was like, as in the Kimmel show, like the one in the States? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was all hustle and bustle in and out, and everything looks very different in person. So the studio was kind of not how I pictured, but still a lot, smaller. Yeah. a lot smaller. Yeah. Seven ARIA nominations for tonight. You boys are just killing it. How does it feel to go in there being big cheese? Wow. Well, I don't know that we are the big cheese going in. <laughs> you are. Seven, that's the magic number. Is it? Seven. Yeah. Yeah, wow. It's, um, yeah, it's real special kind of seeing the uh, people in the past that, that have kind of been there and nominated for that many awards. It's quite mind-blowing to think, oh, we're there. It's a lot awesome. of fun. What an awesome night it's going to be tonight. You're going to be performing your new single, Rain, and good luck with the seven nominations. I hope you come away with a bag full of trophies on trophy night. Thanks so much. A bag full of pointy trophies. An ARIA award could legit double as a dangerous weapon. They're like sharp silver pyramids. The Arias was crazy. Live from Sydney. Streamed around the world. Here we go. In the middle of their album tour, the band landed in Sydney, Australia, a day ahead of the Aria Awards ceremony. They're nominated for seven awards, so surely they're going to walk away with one or two, right? Liam is pumped. My ego was just like, I just want one Aria because... You know, Triple J had never really played us. Double J had and stuff. And it was like, we get an aria without having that support from Triple J. Triple J, I know you're listening. It's nothing personal. One of the aria awards they're up for is Best Group. Zoom out and think about those two words together. Best Group. Yeah, they had U2 doing the announcement. So I remember being like, oh, what a good, uh, you know, what a good band to present this prize. To present the award for Best Group. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome you two? And uh, leads me to the reason that we're here tonight, which is to present the award for the best group. And the nominees are... The hotly contested award for best group sees the band up against Five Seconds of Summer, 
Hilltop Hoods, Rufus de Sol, and Birds of Tokyo. Yeah, not, not a bad list. And then when they said it, you kind of get it. Like you kind of get a little ten-second heads up that you're probably going to win because all of these cameras swing around on you, and everyone at the labels kind of stares at you with this silly face, like, "Hey, hey." Let's see, and the aria for best group goes to the Teskey Brothers. I don't know, everyone went crazy, and yeah, Gininski gets up and starts shaking his beer around, gets it all over me, gets it all over the girls, everyone else at the label. Look, it was unbelievable. I got a bit overexcited, and I become famous for it, and I stood up and sprayed a bottle of beer all over the people around me. Thank God I didn't hit my wife. I hit a couple of the Teskies girls and a couple of media people that I had to apologise to, but it was just a very special moment. Thank you so much. When I was younger watching the Arias, I always wondered whether the people that won knew before they won. And I can 100% confirm that they don't. <laughs> so that only leads me to conclude that all the nominees must write a speech uh, in you know, preparation for winning, which we didn't do. You know, we, we accepted one from Agro. And the Aria for the best Blues and Roots album goes to boys. The Teskey Brothers. You know, I grew up watching Agro's Card and Connection after school, uh, primary school every day, and it was kind of cool to get an aria from Agro. For our international listeners, Agro is a rather rude puppet from a kids' morning show that hasn't been relevant in about 30 years. He looks like a cross between Seinfeld's Frank Costanza and a deranged version of Animal from The Muppets. Gear shift. Uh, On a serious note, Brendan reflects on their 15-year journey. This little thing that started in a shed that has been playing at pubs and doesn't really get commercial radio play um, is being recognised by the industry. So it was incredibly validating in that sense. Once we started talking about like, oh, if you win, what would you say? And then like Jeremy and Al both had to talk me out of saying, I'd just like to thank Triple J. We couldn't have done it with you. I'm glad I didn't say it because it would have come across very petulant and petty. Because I don't have anything against Triple J. I mean, to, to be the Arias, to be nominated, and then to win a bloody Aria for, you know, the best group. It's also hard to say, like, oh, awards don't mean anything to me, man. Because, I mean, they do in the sense of recognition, but the the award for me was like, yeah, I got it. I, I got them the other day, and it's, it's on my desk, and it's kind of like, yeah, cool. My friend was like, oh, how does it feel? And I was like... I don't know, same as it felt yesterday, sad and, you know, like just lonely. That's pretty much what it is for me day to day. Brennan's bandmates always lift him up. That's what makes them best group. They've won two awards on the night and they're on a high and it's time to play live. This is where things get interesting again and there'll be no compromises. It's the Teskey way or not at all. Hi, my name's Olaf Scott. I play uh, organ and keys with the Teskey Brothers. Me and the the horn players and uh, now the the front of house guy and the lighting tech and uh, the Chris the tour manager as well we're all we weren't out in the audience with the guys we were backstage beautiful event space everything's going to be nice it's all going to be very deluxe and then you go backstage and I guess just because there's so many artists there there's not a whole lot of room so we basically got shoved in a broom closet a couple of meters by a couple of meters there's what like six of us in there no food no beverages no anything <laughs> That's right, we didn't have a toilet. We had to go into Human Nature's dressing room to use their toilet. Human Nature are an Australian boy band who are being inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame. 
As far as their music goes, let's just say they have nice personalities. And then at some point in the night, some of their crew came into our broom closet because they wanted to store some gear in there and we had to go and have an argument and, and tell them they couldn't do it. There's some conjecture about which song the Teskey Brothers should play. We are, after all, living in the age of the banger, trademark. First, they've got to agree on a song. Then the day before the ceremony, there's a rehearsal. Liam explains. They wanted So Caught Up, and then um, through discussions with the band and the label, we decided that um, uh, Rain would be maybe better because it's going to be more contrasting. Um, We were looking at the acts that might be playing, and we thought, why not do something that really showcases dynamics and that's a very live song, you know, that moves tempo-wise and is very free and very heartfelt that would probably contrast a a bunch uh, amongst, uh, you know, a lot of other popular culture music, hard-hitting dance stuff. And so, yeah, we were told that we could do Rain. We had to cut the song down to, I think, 2 minutes 20 seconds or something, which is like a blip for us. We're used to playing like 12-minute songs. Speaking of Chris Hemsworth... A musical tip for us? This is just a random question. Musical tip. The Teskey Brothers from Warrandyte in in Melbourne, Australia. The next wrinkle in the Aria story concerns in-ear monitors. The majority of bands use them so they can hear their instruments and the overall mix. When an artist plays a live set on television, well, it's imperative they use in-ears, right? Wrong. We've got this new crazy, crazy idea where we're just going to kind of let the, the audience is going to hopefully cheer and again, there's going to be a bit of an applause and we're going to wait for the applause to end and then I'm just going to bring in the song. And the song starts with singing as well, so it's got to like, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, cutting edge technology, but we're, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Sam is similarly apathetic about in-ears. Yeah, the applause, we're all together in the room. I think we had like a two minute call you know, before starting and we're kind of all just waiting there and, and then we hear the sort of the screens kind of go and we knew, know where like the uh, the show was at and we're like, okay, well, let's put down our instruments and we all kind of, before we started, we all kind of just came to the center of the stage and just had, had a huddle because um, the curtains were closed and, and we're like, okay, well, we've obviously got at least two minutes because, you know, they're still going on with this, this sort of pre-announcement sort of thing. And so we all kind of got together and had a big huddle, just brought ourselves into the space and thought, well, look, we haven't done anything like this before, like a TV performance where the whole room is pretty much filled with industry. So, you know, industry crowds can be hard, you know. So we've got, what, like two and a half minutes or three minutes to, you know, play this play this song and let's just pretend like it's our audience and we're just, we've been playing a whole set and we're just comfortable on stage and we just sort of, we brought ourselves to that energy and then when we get, get the call and the curtains open, we're sort of, you know, away we go, you know, and, and just slip straight into our sort of natural way of performing there was a push for us to do our our banger single you know like but we just we felt like we pushed that you know everywhere so much and it's a you know great tune but sometimes we feel like we kind of know how audiences respond to certain things you know by playing live shows you know and that's what we've always done so live shows we can see the audience responds to this at first hearing you know at first hearing they didn't really respond to this so We've got a, an audience that is going to be maybe hearing us for the first time. So we need to give give them something that has an impact that we've seen people respond to. Like, you know, and so we decided that, that rain would have that sort of impact. Well said. Mid-ceremony, they're due to go on. Olaf, Nathaniel and Charlie have made it out from their spot backstage to gather with the band. And Brendan is revved up. Mm. So we had a huddle. I can't exactly remember what was said, but 
but I also remember being like, <laughs> I was like, Josh, now listen, okay? We've got all these artists here. We've had all these performers. I don't want to be a dick about it, but a lot of them are miming. We all know that, okay? We're the only band here. And I, and I was just basically like, on that first line, when you come out and go, is that rare? You know, I was like, fucking give it everything you got. <laughs> you know, I was like, make these fuckers, you know what I mean? I was like aggressive about it. I was like, give it just every, like, you know, show them what this band is about in that moment, you know? I was like, this is your time, Josh. The Arias have uh, a knack for being super chatty and people getting up and walking around, but, you know, as soon as Josh started the song, it kind of, everyone just fell silent. Marushka's right. Everybody shut the hell up.
absolute, you know, pinch yourself kind of moment. So really kind of, um, I, I feel so, so proud of, of the record and so proud of all the guys and all the music and everybody, all the, everybody who worked on this record and sort of to get it to that, that point is an, an amazing sort of thing to get those some awards on that, on that record at the Arias. It's, um, yeah, really, really special thing. I think everyone wanted to prove to the room as well because we were feeling like frauds and just fish out of water. Like, to be honest, it's just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, this yeah. is so weird. Yeah. And so I think, I don't know, I haven't spoken to the guys about it. For me, definitely, I was like, try, I was like I'm making a statement with this performance. And then we finished and we got a standing ovation from the room. And so for me, that was like way bigger than the actual awards themselves. It was kind of like, yeah, you know, and it's that thing. It's like, you might not like our music, but hopefully you can respect it. Mushroom boss and award ceremony beer sprinkler, Michael Gadinsky, sums it up. They were so great live and so different to everything that was around. I've never been involved with an act that I've seen have such an appeal. And as much as if it was in the 70s or 80s or even 90s, I mostly would have put my foot down about what song I thought they should play. Uh, and I didn't, and I'm glad because the Arias is so contradictory of itself, but their performance, you could hear a pin drop in that room, and that's not how the Arias works. And I think that was just another major point of just confirming what's to come for the Teskies. They have that effect on people. You know, to see them performing that song in front of the music industry, it just, you know, it felt like chlorophyll. What is chlorophyll? I had to look it up, so here goes. Chlorophyll is a green molecule found in plants that absorbs sunlight during photosynthesis and converts it to energy. Shout out to vitamin D. Chlorophyll has been said to help with blood detoxification, odour control, wound healing, gut health, energy, immune system support and cancer prevention the Teskey Brothers music can do all of these things, clearly. They are a blues and soul band from Warrandyte and they were like mates since they were teenagers. They weren't – they played this song that was so different to everyone else that performed. It was amazing. It was such an incredible moment. The Teskey Brothers band booker, Rob Giovanni, always sees the full picture. Well, you know, the audience is kind of, you know, here, there, trying to get drunk, trying to, you know, do other things, trying to get, get, see if there's any food. It's always a weird experience to hear award show. <laughs> Full stop. The breakout star of 180 Grams, our man in Berlin, Holger Christoph, watches the performance all the way back in Germany. Ari Awards in Australia was, was a Teske Brothers show. Of the seven nominations, they win three. Best Group, Best Blues and Roots Album, and Best Engineer. All for their difficult second record, Run Home Slow. At the same time, the Grammy nominations have been announced. Sam, Paul Butler, and Joe Cara are in the mix for Best Engineered Album. Congrats, gentlemen. Well, I'm coming to realise that it's like, it's that yin and yang, order and chaos thing. Nothing comes into existence without resistance kind of thing, you know what I mean? So it's like, you kind of need, I don't think the album would have got to where it got to if it didn't actually have all of the limitations and battles of equipment breaking and people not being available and people turning up late and 
Like it was just a hard time for everyone in the band. I've always said the first album is like reconciling the chaos and the second album is reconciling the order, which doesn't make sense in a way because people go, what do you mean? It sounds it was chaotic, but it's like, it's finding that balance of like, yeah, but if you're too rigid and ordered, like you can't update your value, you can't create something great and update it if you're not challenged by the chaos. And that's the thing that gives birth to these new ideas. The most important part of of this kind of music for me it doesn't have to be complicated, doesn't have to be flashy, it's feeling music. It's this real total cross of generations, um, which means that the music is just timeless, you know, and I think that, like, that's the best success story ever. <laughs> Band manager Jeremy Furs is about to use the T word, trigger. This album from start to finish was just, is it was just an absolute mountain to climb and even discussing it with yourself and with the with the band recently occasionally someone will mention something and that I managed to wipe from my memory and it'll just trigger a whole a whole new set of set of memories that come flooding back about this time in my life when when this band was was working so hard and it was so difficult to get this album finished Chris Gill has been there watching the band since they were packing up the Gasometer Hotel and Sun Velvet Morning. You guys know this. You've been here since you know, episode one. Respect. I don't know. Sometimes when you, when you write great music, the world opens up in front of you. And that's what happened with the Teskey Brothers. To watch that. You know, they have this real sense of community at their shows. And, you know, it's a, it comes from a very genuine place for the band. That's... That's where they started. They started in their community, in Warrandyte, playing at the markets, you know, playing at the local pub. So I don't think that for them, they don't take for granted that they have this whole new extended community around them. Um, They still want everybody to feel like they're part of the show. It's a very big part of who they are. I think it helps them that they know each other for so long time. And they're all just great, very humble, very friendly guys. They're not rock stars. Jez and I have this little joke, but it's kind of serious. Like we, every time we see the band play or like, you know, we're really proud of them for whatever moment, we'll just text each other or say like, best band in the world, you know. <laughs> they have been friends for so long. They write incredible music together. They play so well together, you know. They are such a good group. UK talent wrangler Tom Rogers vibes on how much people feel like the Teskey Brothers are their band after they see them live. It's another way, it can, you know, it's all very well writing the album, I think, and recording it and selling it to people. But when you, when you talk to people who've got the album and who've, just, and who've just witnessed the live show, it makes it all the more real then. People are quite keen to share with you their experiences of hearing the album for the first time or seeing the band live for the first time that really brings it home why we do it and it makes it all worthwhile you might you might have only had three hours sleep over the last three days but when you see that many people having the best day of their lives it's you can't put a price on that it's just the best experience i think i'll never get bored of it i mean i you know i've seen everyone they've done in almost every show they've done in europe for two years i don't think i'll ever get bored of it it's one of my favourite things in the world, it really is. Who do we have here? It's Zen UK producer and Jedi Mind Tricks master Paul Butler. Oh, I love it. 
I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll always love that album. I, uh, I loved making it. That band's hilarious. We had a, we had a, we had a good laugh. I'd really love to work with them again if they, if they ever want to. Um, uh, great. Then I'd be there in a flash, do it in a second. Uh, I, I wonder what they want to do, you know, what they'll do next. If I saw them play the chapel in San Francisco, it's probably about 600 people. I loved it. They're a great band. They're a really good band. You know, it's, I wish I saw, I wish I'd seen them before recording them. I didn't get a chance to do that. It made me realize that that's something I really need to start doing as a producer. It's like go and check a band out a couple of times live. It makes a big difference. It's like, oh, you do that. You do that in front of people. That's cool. Hello, my name is Josh Teske from the Teske Brothers. I'm a songwriter, singer, and guitarist. I'm Sam Teske from the Teske Brothers, and uh, yeah, I play the guitar. Hey, I'm Brendan Love, and I play bass in the Teske Brothers. I'm Liam Goff from the Teske Brothers. He plays the drums. And that's the story of Run Home Slow. I always used to talk to the boys about a thing that I, I kind of discovered, which is called duende, and I don't know if anybody knows what that means. But it's any kind of performing art when, when an artist or a show kind of captures the audience in a sort of a mesmeric sort of moment, and the audience and the, and the performers all become one. Beautifully said, Rob. Sweet, sweet duende. Run Home Slow charts across Australia, Germany, the Netherlands, Switzerland and the UK. The live album release that Now and a few others recorded at the Forum in Melbourne shoots to number one in Australia. Things are good. In 2019, they decided to take a bit of time off. Josh and his partner were expecting a baby. She's in the world now. Shout out to Ava. And there was a mood to have a quiet one. So the plans were cancelled. And then this happened. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Before the global pandemic in 2020, the band was booked to go back to the US for another tour. We've heard this a few times making this series, The Luck of the Teskies. And so concludes the first season of the award-winning, fingers crossed, 180 Grams. Find links to articles with photos and more about the band in the episode notes. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land where we have produced this show. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging, for they hold the memories and cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples within the Kulin Nation. We wish to celebrate the rich history of Indigenous storytelling and hope to uphold this as testament to their eternal influence. 180 Grams is brought to you by The Mushroom Group and hosted by me, Mikey Carl. Executive producer is Matt Kadinsky of The Mushroom Group. Thanks to the following people who worked on the whole series. Team Teske and the 32 people we interviewed. We had amazing access. Shouts to Jeremy and Al. Your time and patience has been invaluable. My producer, Courtney Duende-Carthy, who I'm sure you'll agree has made 180 grams feel incredibly widescreen and filmic. Thanks also to the following people from Mushroom. Tom Canellan, Lucas Setyardi, Laura McCulley, Dan Baker, Loz Grice, Rachel Beck, Mushroom Creative House. Madeline O'Gorman and Marishka Cornelius at Ivy League Records and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts please leave a review in the app 
tell everyone you ever met about 180 grams.